This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. You're listening to Enterprise. Good morning. Frida Liu here. Since its launch in 2016, Ada Plus has seen a steady growth in revenue of approximately 2,693% and a 128% increase in global investments. To date, despite economic uncertainties inflicted by this pandemic, the company has achieved encouraging success with the listing of 50 companies on its platform, harnessed its pool of 400 over investors from across 10 countries, inspired 58% of equity crowdfunding participation from Gen Y investors and welcomed a 427% increase in average investment amounts. This is amazing story right here. I'm here with Elaine Lockman, CEO of Ata Plus, who has all, who's also awarded the Berg 2019 Women Icons Malaysia, an award to honour involvement, achievement and leadership in fintech. Good morning, Elaine. Good morning, Frida. How are you? I'm good. I remember when you first started Ata Plus and that you wanted to promote social impact businesses. Is that still the mandate for Ata Plus? I would say that, uh, you know, it is one of our mandates. I mean, uh, I think for us is to help all businesses and social impact is one. And of course, the other um, vertical that we're looking at is actually women entrepreneurs. Uh, and and this has come up, you know, in a lot of our discussions uh, internally. Uh, especially, uh, we've noticed that in the last couple of years, um, the support for women entrepreneurs, you know, uh, hasn't been there compared to maybe ten years ago. So right. that is uh, one of our focus areas as well. You know, apart from uh, impact investments uh, into social enterprises. Yeah. Right. And I guess for people who don't know about crowdfunding, right, what would be the benefits of investing through crowdfunding as opposed to investing uh, in the stock market? Yeah, I think, um, you know, uh, the, the benefits is really a, a bit more on the longer term perspective. So uh, especially for retail investors, they need to understand that uh, prior to crowdfunding being uh, regulated in Malaysia, um, you know, people like you and I, you know, the average Joe on the street will not be given a chance or will not have a chance to invest in, um, you know, promising startups, you know, uh, and you're talking about the likes of Grab, yeah, uh, or even Airbnb for that matter, you know, and uh, if you get in early, the returns uh, can be very, very uh, attractive. You know, if you look at Grab, you know, they're uh, less than, I mean, less than six years old, you know, and look at where they are, they are right now and the kind of valuations they're getting is uh, pretty incredible. So, um, you know, that's the kind of returns, uh, a very simple example. And this is um, actually a study done uh, on Uber. If uh, you had invested in Uber, right, 10 years ago, say $10,000, right, US dollars, your, the value of your uh, shares of your investment, you know, um, when they listed uh, would have been uh, 110 million US dollars. You know, can you imagine? You know, it, it's, it's just incredible. Right. You know, you right. will never get that, uh, you know, if you invest in a stock market. Right. I mean, that's one. And uh, I mean, that's more for the investor's perspective. But I think for, specifically for the company's perspective, you know, um, you are not locked in to one key investor that, you know, holds a, like a sizable uh, stake in your company. So it's spread across many uh, investors, 
So, you know, you don't have that issue about uh, one of your shareholders, you know, who's trying to, you know, um, take over or run the business and so on, you know. So it's democratizing that as well. But also, on another note, you know, if you have a, a big community of followers, you're giving a chance for people who believe in your business, right. you know, to support your business, you know, uh, and take a stake in your company. Okay. What, what do you call these companies? Do you call them fundies, right? I mean, if you're not, uh, tell me what it is. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> issuers. Okay, issuers, right? These issuers, right? How do you, what's the criteria? How do you select who you'll work with? Okay. So for us, we are industry agnostic. Okay, so that's number one. So we don't, uh, you know, we don't look at a specific sector, but we do uh, look at only halal businesses specific to Ata Plus uh, at this point in time, you know. And we don't really, uh, I would say, discriminate, you know, whether, you know, you're a young startup or you're just six months old or you're 10 years old, you know. So we, uh, at the end of the day, we really look at whether your business is compliant to the Securities Commission guidelines. If you're right. compliant, then, you know, we're, you're good to go. However, right. whether, you know, your proposition is attractive enough to your investors, that's another story altogether. You know, that's uh, typically how we work uh, with the companies, you know, to ensure that, you know, um, they meet all the checkpoints, you know, in terms right. of, okay, you know, would this be, you know, uh, whether it's high risk or low risk, you know, and, and, and the thing is, at the end of the day, uh, whether an investor wants to invest in a company or not, it's really up to the person, him or herself, mm. right? I always say this, you know, it's like, you know, um, it's like going through a matchmaking process or, or you mm. know, uh, not, it doesn't mean that uh, every single good looking guy will be matched with a good looking girl, right? Yeah. Some girls that like, you know, the, the chubby, cuddly, round person, right? And some right. guys may like a, a bit more voluptuous woman, you know? So, like, like my mother used to say, you know, if like that, right, then all of these uh, not-so-good-looking people will end up, you know, will never get these good-looking, uh, you know, partners, you know? So, anyway. So, when when you say halal, though, you, mm. you don't mean certified halal, right? You no, just say, no. right? So, what you mean is that they are... Um, uh, maybe you can explain a little bit yeah. when you say that. So when yeah. we say halal, we uh, uh, generally the the definition would be you know uh, less than uh, 30, 30% of your business is from uh, halal sources. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if you talk about uh, F and B or even hospitality, right? So that's one. Um, of course, um, uh, the other thing that we look at is. You know, if um, pornography, uh, you know, a, a company, you know, that's looking at pro- pornography production or related to pornography. Right. And thirdly, you know, if a company, you know, you know, is manufacturing weapons of mass destruction, you know, for mm. example. So we, we, mm. we kind of like do not, uh, uh, you know, address those businesses. If we do, uh, and we've, we've had uh, businesses who are, for example, non-halal restaurants or F&B, we actually channel it to um, uh, our other fellow ECF uh, platform. Yeah. Right, right. Okay, so you're quite clear in that sense, yes, right? Uh, yes. In terms of what, what, who you will be wor- working Correct. with. And very interesting also uh, how I'm just looking at it, how you've inspired 58% of the ECF participation from Gen Y investors, and that's encouraging. Yes. Now, do you have any uh, analysis of if they are women investors? Do we Are we getting more women investors? 
Um, so at one point, uh, what we notice is that women investors tend to uh, support more women enterprises. Yeah. So uh, I'll give an example. So we had two, um, like for example, Purely B uh, was led by Jasrina, and then uh, we have uh, Jam Newton that was led by Nicole. So uh, they were high numbers of women investors in those companies. Right. Yeah. So we see that trend. So, uh, but uh, I think across the board, even across the industries, um, women participation is still lacking. You know, right. majority are still uh, men. Hence, we would like to, you know, encourage not only um, women investors, but also women entrepreneurs, you know. Uh, mm. And I think there's a lot of uh, opportunity uh, for women entrepreneurs uh, and there will be a lot of support. Yeah, but, but I guess uh, the other thing that um, I, I think we can speak about uh, the support for women entrepreneurs and maybe in a separate occasion because uh, it's mm. not only in the crowdfunding sector, but if you see even in the VC and PE uh, industries, right, there's not many um, women, uh, women-led VCs and PEs or women-led LPs uh, and GPs for that matter, you know. Uh, mm. And then women uh, skewed fun, right? Right. There's, right. There's not many, you know, especially in Asia. Right. And you and you feel that that's necessary, though. Yes. Yes. Uh, I really feel that's necessary because um, I think a lot of women, um, you know, they still need a lot of help. You know, uh, it's not just in terms of uh, uh, financial assistance, but also in terms of you know uh, business coaching uh, and support. Yeah. Uh, in that aspect. So I, I think there's a lot of room for improvement and a lot that can be done uh, for women entrepreneurs uh, in this region. Mm. Do you help them in the marketing with these issues? Do you help them in their marketing? Yes, uh, that's a big um, uh, area that we work, uh, that we do uh, in Adaplas. Um, so typically for all our issuers, uh, we do an integrated marketing strategy and before they launch their campaign, we actually will sit down with them and mm. work together with them in terms of uh, the go-to-market strategy. So right. from PR, from digital social media, from content marketing, to even uh, their pitching uh, mm -hmm. sessions uh, and how they approach uh, the marketplace. Uh, and, uh, and, but that, that doesn't mean that you know, they leave all the marketing to us. You know? So right. I think um, at the start of when equity crowdfunding was introduced in Malaysia, you know, businesses used to think, oh, you know, we just list our campaign on any uh, platform and then the money just appears, you know, so it doesn't happen that way. Uh, yeah. You know, there's a lot of hard work that needs to be, you know, uh, put in place, um, yes. especially uh, on the issuer side, on the uh, entrepreneur side, because, you know, there's only so much that we can do, but they have to work really hard, you know, um, to raise funds uh, and mm -hmm. the commitment uh, is important. Uh, what we see is that uh, businesses that, that did not commit, did not do so well, you know? Right, right. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, actually, ATA, what does it mean? Okay. So, uh, it's not ATA, it's ATA. You know, a lot, ATA, people, yeah, ATA, ATA. A lot of people think that okay. ATA is an abbreviation, right? So, ATA, ATA actually, uh, so when we uh, started the business, right, we, were, we wanted, and uh, so, so just go back to history, right? So, when we started ATA Plus, we wanted it to, we wanted a Sharia angle, but uh, I think uh, after going through uh, the initial process with uh, Scurious Commission, so we thought, okay, um, that's just at that time, right, uh, too much uh, of an issue, right, uh, to get it up. So we, we, we thought, okay, let, let's, let's just 
revert back to focus on halal businesses. Okay. Mm. And um, so, uh, the, so the name came up because we were looking at the platform to be a Sharia platform. So when we started. So, uh, and we were looking at a few Arabic words. And uh, Atta means gift. You know, ah. so and but so but we added the plus because it's just more than gift, right? Yeah. So we wanted uh, it to be a bigger value proposition to the ecosystem. Right. I'm here with uh, Elaine Lockman from Ata Plus talking about equity crowdfunding. Uh, stay tuned for more conversation after this. BFM 89.9. Brave Finance Managers. BFM 89.9. You're listening to Enterprise. Good morning. Frida Liu here, speaking to uh, Elaine Lockman, the CEO of Atta Plus. And uh, basically, uh, Atta has done a lot of work around equity uh, crowdfunding. And one of the, you're now one of the six approved by SC or more? Are there more players now? There are more players now. There's 10, Frida. Okay. All right. There's 10. Wow. Okay. I haven't been paying attention. Now, you know, one of the things that, you know, when you work with these issuers, these companies that you help uh, raise funds, right? What were some of the lessons learned from the fundy, from the issuers who didn't achieve their targets? Yeah. So that, that's, a, that's a very good question. So um, I think there's a, there's a few, I would say, key success factors, right? to crowdfunding. So it just doesn't boil down to one. So um, first and foremost, I think what we see is valuation. So especially for the younger startups, they tend to be very, very bullish on their valuation. But, so a lot of times we, we need to counsel them and bring them down back down to earth, you know. So, mm. so uh, and that's that's a education, a lot of education um, that needs to be done. Although we don't uh, we don't advise them and what kind of valuation, but we do give inputs and feedback, you know, so that uh, to to make sure that or to just counsel them to say, you know, you, you must be more realistic about your valuation. So that's mm. one. So sometimes the valuation can be too aggressive. Okay. Well, number two, I mentioned earlier the commitment to the campaign. I think the commitment to the campaign uh, is one of the things that's very, very important. Uh, if you're not committed to the campaign, it's very tough Yeah, uh, as a business owner. Okay. Thirdly, designing the offer. Designing the offer is very important. You know, So uh, how you structure the offer and how attractive is it to the, to the investors. Previously, it was only an ordinary share structure, meaning that right. you know, uh, whatever you pay for that per share and what's the block of shares that you get. And you, you, you just have to weed it out and see how the company grows and then you only see your exit, right? But now, uh, in the last couple of years, uh, Securities Commission has approved for preference share structure. So some businesses who are very confident of their cash flows and can give uh, uh, returns in the short or medium term, that will be attractive also, you know, to, to investors, right? So, mm. uh, and if you have a very clear exit strategy, that would uh, definitely be a plus point, okay? All right, so that's third. And uh, fourthly is marketing of your campaign, right? Mm. Uh, and if you have a community, it's great. So you do a lot of... Um, pre-marketing work whereby you engage with your community you know you actually uh, inform them that this is what you're going to do and even you say you can design it you say okay because you are our faithful followers you know loyal followers we are going to give you 
you know, a bonus shares, for example, right, you know, right. so there's, there's uh, some uh, kind of uh, offering that you can give to, you, to your loyal community. And I would say, finally, people, well, that's the second last point, the person who pitches, okay, mm. the person who pitches is very important. It doesn't mean that you're the CEO, uh, you can pitch. Okay, sometimes the CEO is not the best person to pitch. Right. It could be the CMO or even the CFO. Um, and uh, one point I forgot, uh, it was um, the, the management team is also important. Mm. So um, we've had uh, situations or scenarios whereby uh, it's a young startup and the, the team is very, very young, right? But how they balance it out is that they got a couple of um, very seasoned advisors, you know, in terms of financial, um, fundraising, uh, strategy or even uh, marketing and branding. So that helps a lot, you know, because right. when the management is too young, then investors will be thinking, can the guys do it? Can mm. they actually take it, take this business from point A to point B to point C and so on? Yeah. Right. So they also need to see the management team. How long is each campaign, if you can yeah. call it that? Yeah. So, yeah, the campaign, I would say, uh, can be anywhere uh, on average, I would say three to four months. Okay, but it really depends on uh, the tenacity and also how aggressive the entrepreneurs are. So uh, if they work really hard uh, together and work together with us, it can be shorter, right? The shortest that we've done is a week. Yeah, right. the longest that we've done is nine months. Right. Yeah. Nine, nine months, is that a bit long? Yeah, so it's a bit long, but uh, the, the entrepreneur was uh, very persistent, you know, and... And I think uh, the investors who invested in, in the company also stayed on. Uh, and because and also if you, you look at the, the, the investment amount, right? right. So uh, that particular company, the minimum investment was 500 ringgit. So mm. it would have been different, I guess, if an investor had put in, say, 200,000. Because can you imagine it's sitting, the money sitting in a trustee account for, mm. you know, uh, nine months. That, that's right. not working, right, for the investor. Yeah. So, that also plays a role, you know, on, right. on in terms of the offering. Yeah. Right. Because people will say, I could put an FD. Exactly. Absolutely. At, at the very minimum, right? Yeah, yeah, now, absolutely. Now, one of the things that you've changed with the SC include the introduction of the Malaysia Co-Investment Fund, MySIF, yes. and the recent lifting of Malaysia's equity crowdfunding limit to 20 million, uh, the enhancement of requirements for qualified entities or ECF, uh, and the tax rebates investors who yes. take in ECF. So let's talk about, let's, 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 let's break that down. Let's yeah. talk about MySIF first. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what's this? Okay. Yeah. So MySIF is a Malaysia Co-Investment Fund. So it is actually uh, a, a, a fund uh, that's been put aside from uh, by the government to support um, the businesses who are looking at raising funds through equity crowdfunding. And uh, how this works is that the government co-invests with the crowd. Yeah. Mm. So for every four ringgit the crowd invests, the government will match with one ringgit. Okay, and uh, and the the funds available uh, for a, a, a company is up to one million ringgit uh, per company per issuer. That's fundraising through ECF, right? So that's how it works. So and this started a couple of years ago, uh, and the government has since put aside a hundred and thirty million ringgit uh, specifically for uh, equity crowdfunding. Yeah, so okay. uh, so a uh, hundred million uh, was the two budgets ago, right? right. So the the last budget, uh, the the government uh, put aside thirty million, 
right? So the the first the first hundred million is already gone completely, you mm. know. So mm. uh, and it really helped the companies during COVID. How recent was the lifting of the ECF limit to twenty million? How much was it before, and and why did you feel the increase was needed? Yeah. So. Um, when we first started, right, when ECF first started in Malaysia, the limit was 5 million ringgit at that time. So 5 million ringgit uh, in total. And in a year, a company can only raise up to 3 million, right? So then after that, uh, end of last year, uh, sorry, early last year, uh, the government uh, pushed it up to 10 million. And then uh, this year in March, it was a lift, uh, pushed up to 20 million. So... So what we observe is that I think um, one of the things that um, SE has observed, right, um, they want to help more and more SMEs, okay? And if you look at uh, the larger SMEs, 5 million is still small for them, even 10 million for that matter, you know? So, uh, so that's one of the reasons. Secondly, also, if you look at the liberalization of the regulation, right, is that now they allow, the government allows a ber, an unlisted Berhad company to fundraise. So typically unlisted Berhad, they would need more money, you know, um, for their business because that's why they structured it as a Berhad. You know? So hence, um, you know, they're looking at more. So they've lifted it up. So that's why what we, we I think we will see, especially this year, different types of uh, businesses and different sizes of businesses will mm. actually opt for equity crowdfunding. So, and I think um, this will be interesting. Um, I, I would think a lot of, uh, I, I guess, more larger SMEs will opt for uh, ECF uh, rather than, uh, you know, listing it um, in the stock market, you know. And what are the tax rebates uh, available for investors? Okay. So uh, now, uh, if you look at the rebates, so uh, we don't know the details yet, but... What's been uh, announced is that uh, for the retail investor, they can uh, get a 50% rebate uh, up to a 50,000 investment in ECF campaigns in a year. So how it works, the details of it, we're still uh, waiting uh, from the Securities Commission to give us a guide uh, on how that works. Yeah. Right. So you have investors from across 10 countries. Where do you see this uh, taking rise most? Okay, so uh, that's a very interesting question because um, specific to Adaplus, we are looking at growing uh, beyond Malaysia. Mm. And uh, what we aspire to be is uh, we would like to look at, you know, drawing more and more international investors into ECF. Uh, the only way we can do that if we can actually increase our presence in other jurisdictions so which is mm. what we are doing uh, right now we are identifying specific jurisdictions uh, that um, that we want to be be at uh, and by doing that um, we will present uh, global investors with investment opportunities in I would say up and coming nations you know whereby right. entrepreneurship uh, is thriving so uh, that is one of our strategies to look at, uh, you know, driving a more global um, set of entrepreneur, uh, sorry, investors uh, into this uh, asset class. Right. You know, how, how do you ensure that the, the companies are accountable for the money that have been raised? Where is the accountability area? Yeah, so um, this is a very interesting question because we, we've, we're always looking into that. I mean, aside from SC, 
um, you know, uh, putting it in the guidelines that uh, reporting is now mandatory, you know. So I think it's a, there's a lot of uh, education that needs to be done, you know. So, um, you know, when, when we talk to uh, issuers, we always say that, look, you know, uh, you must remember that these are all your external shareholders, you know, and they're, they're putting in their, their trust and their hard-earned uh, money uh, into your business, that's number one. So, and you have to be uh, responsible to your shareholders and reporting is always key because, you know, when you report, whether it's good or bad, at least they know what's going on. And uh, if it's good, how you can be better. If it's not so good, how can, you know, you address the challenges? Are you pivoting? If you're not, so what are you doing about it? You know, so these, uh, you know, as long, and investors are very simple animals, you know, I think as long as you keep them informed, you know, they are good with it, you know, uh, and, and as long as there's also a, a channel of communication between uh, you and the shareholders. The other thing that uh, what we're looking at is also, I think um, uh, with um, some of the platforms moving towards uh, providing a secondary uh exchange, a closed secondary exchange, that will be, I think that will be a condition whereby reporting is key if you want to be part of the exchange. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be a condition. Okay. So what's very interesting, I just want to uh, talk a little bit more about, uh, you say that you have over 50, over 50% of ECF participation from Gen Y investors. So is it because they're more open to this sort of investing and, and not going through the conventional rules? I think that's encouraging anyway. Yeah, I think the Gen Y's risk takers, they, they are not attracted to the conventional stock market. You know, if you look at the Gen Y's, uh, they are looking at you know, the robo-advisors, they're looking at crypto investments, you know, so that excites them more, right? So, uh, and ECF is definitely one of the uh, areas that they're looking at. You're absolutely right, Frida, you know. Okay. And very interesting, you talk about women entrepreneurs and, uh, you know, obviously you'll be on the lookout for women entrepreneurs. And uh, are, do, you, do you think women are receptive to the idea of ECF? Oh, absolutely. For sure. You know, and, and we get a lot of, I mean, I get a lot of um, invitations, you know, to speak to various women groups. And, you know, they're very, very interested in this space. I, I think, uh, you know, in spite of this asset class being in the market already for six mm. years now, mm. there's still, you know, we still need to do a lot of education and awareness activities because, uh, and, you know, so shockingly, Frida, it's not only in Malaysia, even in the US, right, mm. or in, the, in Europe, you know, a right. lot of people are still not aware of equity crowdfunding, you know, so, uh, which, which came for, uh, as a big surprise, actually, to me. You know, I only realized this a couple of years ago when I started talking to uh, a number of VCs and uh, private equity, or also the big asset uh, fund management companies, you know, uh, out in the US or even uh, in Europe. And when, you, when we talk about ECF and they say, what is that? You know, what if, mm. they, they don't, don't, don't even know that it exists. You know, right. because they're, they're so they're so engrossed in their own world, you know. Right. So so they, they don't understand it. So um, there's still a, a, a lot of room and a lot of potential uh, for this asset class. Okay, I have to ask though, with the pandemic, did you see investments? Are people still investing? You know, I mean, do we still have the money? <laughs> yeah, you know, so that that's a very interesting question because when uh, when the pandemic happened, we were so worried 
for the campaigns, right? And uh, especially for uh, the SMEs and entrepreneurs. And, um, and surprisingly, you know, people are still investing. And in fact, if you look at just a simple uh, observation, right? You look at the stock markets, right? Mm. It was doing so well. Even the bad counters were making money, you mm. know? Yeah. So people, people were looking to invest uh, and they will just invest in anything. But specific to ECF, Yes, mm. you know we saw a surge, uh, and it's uh, and it's across the industry, you know, across our, all our all the operators. I would say, yeah. Okay, so just a final question: What's your view on the future of ECF and uh, Ata Plus, Ata Plus? <laughs> okay, uh, specific to the industry, I I think uh, you know um, there's still a lot of I think interesting uh, products and services that will come out from this space. You know, uh, I think people uh, in general, the public, should really seriously look at uh, this asset class uh, as uh, an investing opportunity. You know, you will see a lot more interesting businesses, a lot more, um, you know, uh, value prop- interesting value propositions uh, from these businesses. Uh, that's specific to the industry. And, uh, and of course, uh, for me as the president of the Registered Digital Market Association, uh, which is the association for ECF P2P, we would like to ele- elevate the standards yeah, um, of um, uh, EC- the ECF industry uh, and also as well as P2P uh, in Malaysia. Um, specific to Ataplas, um, what, uh, you know, for me is we, we would like to serve more uh, SMEs uh, across the board. Uh, and what we would like to do is uh, really to drive uh, the financial inclusion agenda uh, as, well, as well as, you know, um, democratizing investments, you know, which is uh, up along the lines of uh, what SC has been uh, mooting in the last six years. And... Um, and for us also is uh, expanding uh, beyond Malaysia uh, to be able to, you know, um, uh, drive our vision, not, uh, not just in Malaysia, but also uh, regionally uh, and also in uh, the specific countries uh, that we feel that would benefit uh, from this value proposition and from, from our products and services. All right. Thanks, Elaine. I've been speaking to Elaine Lockman, the CEO of Ata Plus. You've been listening to Enterprise BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.